Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. I've titled this message this morning, The Greatness of Our Saviour. The Greatness of Our Saviour. Would you turn to Mark chapter 10 and we'll look at verse, one verse, verse 45. Mark 10 verse 45. And in this verse, we see the entire gospel of Mark summed up in this one singular verse. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, the first 10 chapters of the gospel of Mark are summed up in the first part of this verse. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And the last six chapters flow out of the second part of this same verse and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the signature text of the Gospel of Mark. In fact, this is the very cornerstone of the entire Christian faith. This is the gospel in a nutshell. The Amazon forest of our Christian belief is all compressed together into this one seed. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And what we want to do today is to extract as much as we possibly can get out of this seed much as God would help us this morning. But first things first, we'll, just a quick background as what led, what led Jesus to say this verse, this sentence. Well, Jesus just told his disciples in verse 33, and I'll read, that he will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will, lead, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. But the prideful disciples, they were acting like little children. And in their arrogance, they fought among themselves. And they mistakenly thought that they could somehow be great in the kingdom of God without paying the price for it. And so from verse 38 to verse 44, Jesus, our great teacher, corrected their wrong view of how to be great in the eyes of God. And Jesus, in a way, he would say to his disciples, greatness is not about how many brothers are serving you. But it's about how many brothers you are serving. It is not about who has got the biggest house, but it's about who has the biggest heart in his love for one another. It is not the ease and the comfort of this world, but it's about the sacrificial suffering 
as we are placing ourselves at the feet of one another for the spread of the gospel. Question. So is greatness something to aspire for in heaven? Yes, absolutely. But it's not about how much money you have in a bank account. But it's about who, for Jesus' sake, is going to love more, labor more, agonize more, spend more for the sake of advancing the kingdom of God. Greatness is about who will sacrificially love the brethren selflessly, serve the elect for the spread of the gospel. The crown of greatness will rest on the head of the one who most spent his life. The more you passionately allow your earthly possessions to be plundered by the saints, the more you exhaust all your earthly resources to serve the saints, the redeemed for the advancement of the gospel, the greater your reward is in heaven. And Jesus inverted the definition of greatness. The paradox of greatness. Jesus upside down the meaning of greatness. That's the background. The one million dollar question though, and for today's message, who do we look up to for inspiration? Who is it exactly that will march ahead of us, our great hero, our great heavyweight champion, if you like, in a pursuit of greatness? Who will be the faithful captain that will spearhead the army of the redeemed in the path of greatness? Answer, again we read this verse, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. This person is none other but Jesus Christ, who gave up his life for the many, for the redeemed, the saints. And in this verse, it pulls back the veil. It rolls up the curtain as Jesus gives us the reason for his coming. And that is to secure salvation for the redeemed. And this verse oozes out with the ultimate example of greatness. And it's intended to overwhelm us, to astonish us, and then to inspire us to follow that example. Every part of this verse cries out to all of us this morning, behold the greatness of our Saviour. In fact... We can break down this one singular verse into six parts. And each part, as a beautiful diamond, as you turn it around, you can have a look at some aspect of the greatness of our Saviour Jesus. For even, that's the greatest example, the Son of Man, the greatest person, did not come to be served the greatest self-denial, but to serve the greatest humility and to give his life the greatest sacrifice, a ransom for many, 
the greatest substitution. And we're going to look at each category and we'll make it an outline for today's message. So the first point, for even, which is the greatest example in showing how greatness is lived out. For even. The Gospel of Matthew, in the parallel account, Matthew says, just as the Son of God, the Son of Man, sorry. So Jesus intended for this to be an example. And so when God, excuse me, when God wants us to understand greatness, He doesn't want us to look at a, an Olympic champion or a, a Hollywood actor or one of the flawed politicians to know what greatness is. He calls us to look upon Christ, who is the source and fountain out of whom all greatness flow. Jesus' life is a compass that points to greatness. Some people, you ask them, would Jesus do this? And their response would would be, what does Jesus have anything to do with that? With this? Everything. Why? Because what Jesus did, how Jesus lived his life, and how he responded to hardship, all of these are our divine GPS that leads us to greatness. All. Everything about Christ is our holy, divine Google map, if you like, that we must follow its direction if we ever want to arrive to greatness. For even the Son of Man, just as the Son of Man. In other words, Jesus, what Jesus is telling His disciples and by extension tells all of us this morning, listen, I am not teaching you some principle. It's a pattern in my life. You want to be great? Then mimic me, imitate me, read me, study me, know me, enjoy me, behold me, and then follow after me. Live me out. In other words... Let me live in you and through you. Why? Because I am the greatest example. That's the first point. Now, why is it that Jesus is the greatest example? Answer, and there is the second point, because he is the greatest person. He's the sovereign Co-equal with God. So we read, and it says, the Son of Man. What does it mean, the Son of Man? Now we think, or some of us do perhaps think it's a humble term that Jesus uses. This could not be further from the truth. This term, Son of Man, Jesus used it um, to refer to himself more than any other titles. 
And when he used it, he referred to his divine authority. Matthew 9, 6 says, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He used it to refer to his divine lordship. Mark 2, 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And he used it to refer to his immense power and glory. Luke 21, 27 says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. All these verses echo what Daniel said about the Son of Man. Would you please turn to Daniel chapter 7? We'll read this together. Daniel 7 verse 13. And I ask you that with trembling and fear, let us fix our eyes on the immense grayness of this Son of Man. In Daniel 7 13, Daniel um, was given access to behold a vision that no man has ever seen before. He was taken all the way to behold, to see the last chapter of this world. All other previous chapters had an end, but not this one. This is an endless chapter. And in verse 13, Daniel says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. Now, here is the great person, the greatest person. Here is our warrior of our faith, the champion of our souls. And it says, And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Verse 14. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. You see, the Son of Man is a mighty king. He's a glorious king. He rules with absolute power and authority. Please note who will be under him. It says that all the peoples, that includes kings and includes presidents and dictators, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. Now, check this out. This is beautiful. It says, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. Wow. Where are the mighty kings of old? Where is Alexander the Great, Adolf Hitler, Herod the King? Where is Pontius Pilate? Where are the champions of the past? Are they not all dead and buried and their flesh decomposed? And if you think about it, even the strongest of the champions and the athletes and even the healthiest people of our days, their dominion, dominion is like the wind of the air eventually they will grow old 
and then they will die. And in a hundred years from now, they'll be forgotten. You can go and check the graveyards of the greatest of men and you will find the graveyards are full of dust and bones. But let's see this, read it again. It says, but this son of man here, it says, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. Continuing on and says, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This son of man is not a weak man. It tells us that he will break his enemies with a rod of iron. That he will crush their bones like, like how you break glass. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That speaks of his power. He's so powerful, this son of man. So powerful. That if all the demons and all the kings and all rulers and champions, if they all shake their fist before this son of man and let's say they bring all their jets, all their fighter jets and submarines and nuclear weapons and then revolt against this son of man. If all the world would come against this son of man, their strength would be no more than a strength of a, an ant with arthritis in its knee and walking on crutches in comparison to the immense power and the greatness of this Son of Man. The greatest person. And yet, if you go back to the Gospel of Mark, in that verse, our verse, yet it says that this Son of Man did not come to be served. Wow. Have you ever heard of such self-denial? And this come, we come here to our third point, the greatest self-denial. Why is it the greatest self-denial? Because the Lord, our Lord who created heaven and earth and all flesh for Him to say, to say He did not come to be served. It indicates He wrapped Himself in flesh. This Son of Man, without whose permission you, you can't even breathe your next breath, he breathed our polluted air. And when he was born of a virgin, the infinite became infant. And why did he come? Not to be served. The one who created the world out of nothing. He came not to be served. Why did Jesus come? To gain perhaps more wisdom? Absolutely not. Colossians 2.3 says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Did he somehow run out of resources in heaven 
And so he came down to dig for gold and minerals, take it back with him to heaven? No. It tells us in Psalm 50:10, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know every bird of the mountains, everything that moves in the field is mine. Did he come to gain perhaps more glory than the glory that he already possesses from eternity past? Isaiah 24 verse 23, I'm paraphrasing here and says, and basically it says that the moon will be red-faced. The sun would be ashamed, disgraced, if it would somehow compare its candlestick glory to this wonderful, dazzling beauty and glorious greatness of Jesus Christ. What would an all-glorious Son of Man get out of coming to this miserable world? He didn't come to be served, it tells us. In other words, when Jesus came, he was not self-focused. He didn't come seeking ease and comfort, trying to find the best and most comfortable vehicle of the day. That's not why he came. In fact, as we read earlier, when Jesus explained to his disciples in what manner he will die, how he'll be crucified. The first he will be scourged and mocked and be spat upon. And when in their response, they showed no sympathy to our Lord, zero sympathy or love to our Lord. And they completely disregarded him and they started fighting among themselves who's the greatest. What did he do? He was okay with that. It did not affect him. He didn't come to be served, meaning he didn't come to be pitied. He didn't say, what are you doing, disciples? I'm the son of man, and I just told you how I'm going to suffer for you, and you didn't even feel sorry for me. You hurt my feelings. You offended me. You didn't even say thank you. No. He didn't drown himself in self-sorrow. Why me? Why? Because he did not come to be served. He's not interested in pity. Or pat on the back. There, there, Jesus. And not once has he ever put his self-interest above others. In fact, it tells us all the way to the end of his life, when he was reviled, he did not revile back. When he suffered, he did not threaten, not even his own enemies. No, he relinquished all rights and all personal demands. This self-denial is on steroid self-denial. It is the greatest self-denial. Well, if he didn't come to be served, why did he come? Jesus tells us, but to serve. This is the greatest humility. 
He served selflessly. He served tirelessly. He served relentlessly, day and night. He served with tears of compassion. Once he said to his disciples about the multitudes of people before him, that I feel compassion for these people. And then he started serving them. And he fed them. He served lovingly. In John 13, it tells us about Jesus having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to what? To the end. And when he wanted to say to his disciples in the same chapter, I love you, how did he say it to them? What did he do? Got a bucket of water, put a towel around him, got down on his knees and started scrubbing and washing and cleaning the disciples' dirty feet. He served sacrificially. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he great in his service? The fountain of living water said, I thirst, why? In order to quench the cravings of our spiritual lives. The bread of life suffered hunger in order to feed our souls. The one who said about himself, the resurrection and life died in order to give us life. How humble is Jesus Christ? The one who's worthy of all honor. He did not come so that somehow we give him honor though he is worthy of all, like I said. He came to serve, to grant us mercy. The Son of Man came to serve us. Shouldn't our hearts leap with joy and gratitude towards Him? He didn't come from heaven to look for some medicine for Him to be healed. No, He came to heal our spiritual sickness. He didn't come to wear our finest clothes. No, He came in order to cover our naked souls. He came to wash our filthy hearts. He came not to live among us because somehow we live in a better world than heaven. He came in order to take us to His home. Shouldn't our hearts be so ecstatic, so joyful and so thankful for our Lord? Why would anyone not follow this great son of man? I would have no clue. How could we contain our love for him and not let it burst out of our chests? In living for him and wanting to be like him. This son of man, brothers and sisters who's worthy of all service, did not come for us to serve Him as though somehow He needs our service. No, He came primarily to serve us. And this is the greatest humility. 
Now, how much was he willing to serve us? Continue reading the text and it says, and to give his life a ransom for many. That is the greatest sacrifice. So, so far we looked at the greatest example of greatness displayed in that the greatest person had the greatest self-denial and the greatest humility and he offered the greatest sacrifice. What is this greatest sacrifice? To give his life. Is there any greater sacrifice that could ever be given more than the Son of Man to give up his life? And he says a ransom for many. What does it mean, ransom? Well, ransom is, in short, it's a price that to be paid in order to release a slave from a marketplace, to set him free. And this is the the language that the Bible uses to refer to all of us. In John 8.34, it tells us that we're all slaves of sin. We're born with a sin nature. And that's why we do sin and we love sin. Yet Jesus came to serve us. How? Those who put their trust in him, he would save them from the slavery of sin. When we were enemies in our minds, when we lived our lives and all our faculties were stained with sin, ugly sins, sins of lust, sins of pride and selfishness, shameful and despicable sins, and 10,000 times more of sins in our lives. And in the stubbornness of our own heart. And with all carelessness, we drank our sin like water. One of them, one sin, was enough to arouse the righteous and the holy anger of God, our holy God. One sin was enough to cast the best of us into hell forever. And while we had bloody stained hands because of our sins, guilty as charged, this Son of Man in His humility came to serve us by giving up His life. And please note, He didn't come to give you condolences. He didn't come and served us by merely just praying for us or to give us some sympathy and that's all. He came in order to offer up his life, his body and soul. He didn't come primarily to teach. He came primarily to die. Everyone else would be born into this life in order to live. But the Son of Man came in order to die. Do we get this? This Son of Man came to pour out His blood so that He would save His people. And no man could ever endure such agony when He died. Only Jesus, who gave up His priceless life, this entire life, 
endured the greatest suffering and torment for his people. Brothers, sisters, let us never forget this. That when Jesus decided to serve us, his spirit was brutally tortured with pain that can't be imagined. May we never ever forget this, brothers and sisters. How Jesus bore all of God's punishment and all of God's wrath for all of God's people. And it was the greatest sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus, as he carried the sins of all who would believe in him, the eternal hammer of God's vengeance, without mercy, struck him and pounded him and crushed him until the very last sin of his people was paid for. And when he gave his life as a ransom for many, as Spurgeon once said, he became like a cluster of grapes cast into a wine press. And then what happened? The almighty feet of God's fury against sin stomped upon him and trampled him and squashed him until his redeeming blood gushed out to save his people. When Jesus served us, he exhausted all his flesh with all of his comfort and ease. He's given all that he is and all that he has as a ransom to save us. And may I remind you, he did all of this voluntarily. And thus, this has become the greatest sacrifice on the stage of the world and throughout all. And so we come to the last and the final point. The greatest substitute. Please note this little word. For, for many, it's a wonderful word. This word for means instead of, on behalf of, in place of many. Jesus didn't just die for our sins. Yes, he did, but that's not all why he died for. He died for us. He was hung on the cross for us. This is the heart of the argument. Uh, This is the greatest act of service. When Jesus substituted himself for us. In his single act of atonement upon the cross, as it says, for many, he swapped places. It was a perfect substitution. When Jesus served us, he took all that is ours and gave us all that is his. He took all of our sins and he has given us all of his righteousness. He took our place of slavery in order to give us freedom. And this is the greatest substitution. As it says of the Son of Man, Set you free, you are free indeed. 
when we were separated from God, we had no freedom. I want to tell you, many people who live in this world were wrongly misled to think that they are free. When in reality, they're slaves to their own passions and sin desires. Jesus came and died in order to give us his life. And in so doing, he set us free. Free from the debt of sin. Free from fear of God's judgment. Free to love him and obey him freely and cheerfully. Brothers, as we come to the end of the message, I want to ask you, do you love him? Let us search our hearts this morning. Do we love our Savior, this great Savior? I want to share with you, I want to tell you this morning, if, if you would extend your left arm all the way, as far as you could, and let's say you add to it 10,000 times, 100 million times more to the West. And if you would extend your right arm 10,000 times more to the East, you would still fail to wrap your arms around the vast greatness of our Saviour. His love is great. That the scripture tells us it's beyond comprehension. His peace is great. That it tells us in the scripture it's, it surpasses all understanding. His loving kindness is great. It's everlasting. His patience is great. It endures forever. He is such a great person. He is worthy to be feared. Do we fear him? Do we fear Christ? In his self-denial and humility, he is worthy to be praised. In your own hearts, do you praise him? On the cross, as he was hung for us as our perfect substitution, he is beautiful. Do we adore him? Not just on Sunday morning with these wonderful songs that we sang, but do we adore him Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday night, Thursday morning? Do we adore him? Do we love him? Do we bask in all of his goodness for us? I want to call upon you this morning to throw yourself at him, relinquish all other worldly desires and fall upon his loving chest. And when you do that, follow his example of greatness. What does that mean? Well, he gave himself as a ransom for our brothers, for the brethren. And you know what? For the rest of eternity, he will continue to serve us. Now, how about us?
How about you this morning? Do you love him and enjoy him? If you do, then you've got to follow his footsteps. What does that mean? Do likewise. Let us serve the brethren. This is the path to greatness. This is what greatness is. If the, great, if the greatest person in the world humbled himself to the point of death and served the brethren, if Jesus being the greatest person and yet he served the redeemed even to the end, shouldn't we who have not even scratched the surface of what greatness is, we're not great in, in and of ourselves, shouldn't we then spend, spend on and be spent by our brothers in Christ? I want to urge you this morning to follow our Lord's example. Let us be like Him. Let us want to grow in the likeness of our Saviour. And in so doing, let us be eager to toil and to labour in our love with all humility, serve our brothers and sisters. And when you serve and you come to the point that you are tired, behold the greatness of your Saviour and how He served and speak to yourself and say, I have not yet served enough. And then go ahead and serve much more. This is the path to true greatness in the eyes of God. And to those among us who are not saved, dear friends, oh how I wish you could see Jesus Christ in His glory how he came from heaven and suffered all of these that we spoke about to give himself up. Why? That he might grant eternal life to those who would believe. Your eternal happiness rests upon this. Trusting Jesus Christ. In that he gave himself up as a ransom for many. If you believe in Jesus Christ from your heart this morning, you will be saved. Jesus Christ. Because he is so great and so awesome and so mighty. He alone was able to satisfy all that God demands. Jesus satisfied all of God's justice. God demands perfect obedience that you and I failed to live out. And yet Jesus lived it out. And on the cross as he was hung, he said to the Father, let it be me. Pour out your wrath upon me. Why? So that those who would believe in him, in Jesus Christ, all of their sins would be transferred upon Jesus. And he would have been punished on their behalf. And he would transfer all his perfect obedience 
his perfect righteousness into their account such that, that they would stand before God because of Jesus and what he has done, they would stand blameless, perfect in the sight of that perfect and, and holy God. And it's because of Jesus and what he's done. The gates of heaven are swung open. And he extends his hand. And he says, come to me. Behold me. Believe that I'm such a great savior. I will save you from your sin. I urge you this morning, don't spit on your only hand that could save you. Don't say to Jesus, no Jesus. I want to continue in my sin. And I want to be heading to hell. And I'm okay with that. I urge you this morning, throw away your self-righteousness and rest fully upon Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. And he will grant you eternal life. And you will be added to those many whom Jesus died for. Come to him. I urge you, if you do not believe this morning, come to him with your sin. You have pride? That's okay. Bring it to him. He will cleanse you. He will forgive you. And he will grant you the power to grow in humility. You have selfishness, lustful desires. He'll take all kinds of sinners. He loves to save sinners, especially the worst kind of sinners. Do you know why? Because he's such a great savior. He's great in his love and compassion. He's great in his mercy. He's great in his grace. If you come to him this morning, if you but trust in him this morning, he will save you and he will change you and he will cause you to love what you hate and hate the very sin that you now love. Amen? Let's pray. Look, God, we praise you, Lord. You are such a, a merciful God that while we don't even cry out to you nor even seek you, yet you send your Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a, such a, a great, perfect, sinless life. And he came and he lived this sinless life so that he would give us this righteousness of his. And then on the cross, and yet while we were still sinners, yet Lord God, you showed your love by hanging your only begotten son on that cross. And you crushed him so that the doors of heaven, these iron gates would be swung open and that everyone who would come to your son Jesus, believing in him, would have eternal life and all of his sins would be forgiven. Lord God, would you move our hearts that if any unbelievers are among us this morning, that they would not leave this room unchallenged unconvicted, and that they will come to a saving faith. And for those of us who have already been added to your family, Lord God, 
We pray that we would love Jesus in the very true meaning of loving Him by desiring to be like Him, laying down our lives as He did for the brethren. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.